Good to see you this morning. Good to be together to worship our great God. If you have your Bible with you, and I know that you do, go ahead and take it out. Go over into the Gospel of John, where our scripture reading came from this morning. John chapter 20. Please go to John chapter 20. The majority of our study this morning will come from John 20. Have you ever had, have you ever had doubts? Have you ever had, had doubts? Have you ever had doubts about the Bible? You ever had doubts about God? You ever had doubts about Jesus? You ever had doubts about anything pertaining to your faith? Have you ever had doubts as a Christian? Well, going back to the section of Scripture that Brother Trevor read for us this morning from John chapter 20, I want you to notice how in those verses we read about a man who had doubts. We read about a disciple who is actually most remembered today because of his doubts. We read about a man who is commonly referred to today as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, or just Thomas as he's called in the Bible, was an apostle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was a special ambassador of Jesus Christ. He was someone who preached with and, and worked with Jesus. He traveled with Jesus for about three years. He also was a fisherman by trade. Like Peter, James, and John, he also lived and he worked throughout the sea or around the Sea of Galilee. He also had a twin. In fact, in John chapter 11 and verse 16, he's called Didymus. That word Didymus actually means twin. It likely refers to the fact that Thomas, the apostle Thomas, had a twin sibling, and the Apostle Thomas was also very loyal to Jesus. He was very devoted to Jesus. You know, so often we forget that when the Lord was determined to go to Bethany in order to raise Lazarus from the dead, Thomas was the one who said, let us also go there with him so that we may die with him. There in John 11 and verse 16, Thomas is expressing loyalty to Jesus. He is expressing reverence and devotion to Jesus. And yet despite his reverence and despite his loyalty and devotion to the Lord, unfortunately, when his name is mentioned today, all of that is lost, right? None of that is hardly ever discussed. None of that is hardly ever mentioned. None of that is hardly ever studied. Instead, when people hear Thomas' name today, the main thing they tend to want to focus on is the occasion when he had doubts. It's the occasion when he had doubts. 
about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For most folks, when it comes to the Apostle Thomas, the main thing they tend to want to talk about is the time when he had doubts. And so since that is the case, how about we also focus on that this morning? How about we open up our Bibles together this morning and consider some lessons that we can learn from quote unquote doubting Thomas that can help us when we start facing doubts in our lives today. What can we learn from quote unquote doubting Thomas? Well, one of the lessons that I think we can learn from this section of scripture here in John chapter 20 is when it comes to doubts, when it comes to doubts, we're all going to have them. We're all going to have doubts. I mean, can we just be honest about that this morning? Can we just acknowledge that this morning? Can we just acknowledge the reality that even the strongest disciples sometimes have doubts? Even the most seasoned disciples sometimes have doubts. And someone says, well, no, Sean, I don't agree with you. Not me. I don't have doubts. I've never had any doubts when it came to my walk with Jesus Christ. Really? Really? Well, even if that's true, which I doubt it is, but even if that's true, you know what that means? That means that you, my friend, are an even stronger disciple than the apostles of our Lord. You want to say that? You want to say that you're an even stronger disciple than Peter and James and John, Thomas and Bartholomew, the very men who walked with Jesus? Will you go into your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 24? I want to ask you to go to Luke chapter 24, please. I want to show you something in Luke 24. You know, so often, while coming down hard on Thomas for doubting the resurrection of our Lord, we forget that he is not the only disciple who doubted this. He is not the only apostle who doubted the resurrection of Jesus. Instead, the Bible tells us that all of the apostles initially doubted this. You in Luke chapter 24, look at verse number 10. In verse 10, it says, now they were, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. They were telling the apostles that they had seen the risen Savior. Verse 11, verse 11, but these words, their testimony, appeared to them, the apostles, as nonsense, and they would not. They would not believe them. Notice how when it came to the testimony of these women disciples who say they saw the risen Savior, it wasn't just Thomas who doubted their testimony. It wasn't just Thomas who would not believe them. Instead, the scripture says that all of the apostles refused to believe them. All of the apostles refused to believe the testimony of these women. None of the apostles would believe in the resurrection of Jesus until they saw it with their own eyes. 
They all doubted that Jesus had been raised, even though, even though they all had intimately walked with him for three years. Even though they all had seen him do miraculous things, things like give sight to the blind and heal lepers and walk on water and cast demons out of people and even raise the dead. They all doubted the risen Savior, even though at least three of them heard the very voice of God on a mountain say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. They all doubted, even though Jesus on numerous occasions told them that he was going to die and, and be buried, but he was going to be raised three days later. Despite all these things, the apostles, all of the apostles still battled the barrier of doubt. They still dealt with doubt. They still had their faith assaulted with doubt by the devil. The apostles had doubts. And so let me ask you again. Let me ask you again. Have you also ever struggled with this? Have you also ever struggled with having doubts about some of the things that are found in the Bible? For example, have you ever had doubts about the creation account that's given in Genesis? You ever had doubts about, about the fact that you were created by an all-powerful and wise God, that you were created in the image of God? You ever had doubts about the inspiration of the Bible? You ever had doubts about some of the stories that are found in the Old Testament of the Bible? Stories like Jonah actually spending three days in the belly of a fish? And stories like Balaam and a talking donkey and stories like Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. And story like Eve having a conversation with a serpent. And stories like Noah and the worldwide flood. You ever had doubts about these stories that are found in the Old Testament? You ever had doubts about Jesus? You ever had doubts about his resurrection? You ever had doubts about what he claimed to be, that he claimed to be the son of God and, and the only way to heaven? You ever had doubts about any of those things for just one second in your life? Well, if you have, then I want you to know two things. First, I want you to know that, you, that if you've ever struggled with doubts or if you're struggling with doubts right now, you're not alone in that. No, you're not alone in that. In fact, I'll be lying to you this morning if I stood up here and told you that I've never had doubts myself as a, as a Christian. That's right. Even the preacher, Sean Jeffries, has had times when I've struggled with doubts. And I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to tell you that, my friends, because when I open up my Bible, I see that even the apostles, the men who saw Jesus, even they struggled with doubts. And so, if you're struggling with doubts, or if you've ever had doubts, you're not alone. But then secondly, I want you to know this. I want you to know that having doubts 
It's not a sin. It is not an abomination in the eyes of God. I want you to go back to John chapter 20. Go back to John 20 and look carefully at what's going on there in the verses that were read for us. Notice carefully how after appearing to the apostle Thomas, did Jesus, did Jesus charge Thomas with sin? Did Jesus tell Thomas that he was destined to go to hell right then and there because he had doubts? Did Jesus even rebuke or criticize Thomas for having doubts on this occasion? He most certainly did not. Now, we do, right? We criticize Thomas for having doubts on this occasion, but the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he does not. He does not criticize him. He does not rebuke him. And even if we want to say he does rebuke him, it's a mild one at best. On this occasion, the Lord doesn't give up on Thomas and cast him aside because he refused to believe without sufficient evidence. In fact, this brings us to the next point that we need to understand this morning, and that is, even though we sometimes deal with the barrier of doubt, instead of allowing those doubts to cripple us and destroy us in our faith, what we need to do is we need to work through them. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that we need to work through our doubts? I got to tell you that this is one of the main things that, I, that I've really come to respect about Thomas. You see, I may be different than you. Unlike most folks today, I don't look down on Thomas here in John chapter 20. I don't look down on Thomas because he doubted the resurrection of Jesus. Instead, I admire Thomas. I admire Thomas on this occasion because he was the kind of man who was willing to stand on his own two feet and do what was necessary to develop his own faith. He didn't just take somebody's word for it. He didn't just believe it because everybody else was doing it or because he wanted it to be true. No, Thomas was the kind of man who wasn't going to believe until he had some proof until he has some sufficient evidence that could be investigated. And Jesus certainly gave him some evidence that could be investigated, right? Going back to verse number 27. Going back to verse 27. And helping Thomas with his doubts, Jesus told him to investigate the evidence. Jesus says, touch my body. Put your hands where the nails were driven and where and where the spear had had pierced me. Do what you got to do to go from unbelieving to believing. John chapter 20, verse 26, verse 26, after eight days, keep in mind that what we're going to read here is another occasion when Jesus appears to the apostles. Thomas was not with them the first time Jesus appeared to them. And so it says after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas is with them now. Thomas is with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
You're destined to go to hell. You've sinned against me because you doubted. That's what he said, right? That's not what he said. He says, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Investigate the evidence. Thomas Asner said to him, my Lord and my God, that goes with our lesson from last Sunday, doesn't it? Remember, we made the point that Jesus wasn't just a man on the earth, but he was God. Fully God and fully man at the same time. Thomas here, after investigating the evidence for the resurrection, he acknowledged Jesus as deity. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Notice that last part there. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Who's that talking about? That's talking about us. That's talking about me. That's talking about you. We were not privileged to be with the apostles in the first century to see Jesus' risen body and to touch it and examine it. We were not there. But Jesus says that we're still blessed because we believe and yet we have not seen it with our own eyes. The question is, what exactly does the Lord mean with that statement? I mean, when the Lord says what he says at the end of verse 29, is he talking about blind faith like the atheist suggests? Is he talking about us having faith as Christians that is unreasonable and not supported with evidence? Is he talking about us merely believing in the resurrection because we want it to be true or because our preacher or our friends or our, our parents just tell us to, to believe is true? Is that what he's talking about? He most certainly is not. He most certainly is not. My dear friends, Jesus did not require Thomas or any of the apostles to have blind faith in him, and he doesn't require that of us as well. Anybody who says otherwise is just flat out lying, or they don't know what they're talking about. Go back to John chapter 20 again. You see verse 30? Look at verse 30. After Jesus says, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed, John goes on to explain further what that's all about. Therefore, you know that when the word therefore is mentioned in a verse, what is being said in that verse connects back to the previous verses, right? You know that. And so in verse 30, John says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There are a lot of miracles that Jesus performed that are not recorded for us in the gospel of John, but these have been written. These miracles have been written, including the miracle of the resurrection, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Notice how here John tells us, why the miracles are given to us in the gospel. He tells us why even the miracle of the resurrection is recorded for us in the gospel. According to the apostle John, the reason why we have this record of the miracles of Jesus and the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus is because God wants us to have sufficient evidence to back up the things we believe. He wants us to have sufficient evidence 
to support our faith in Christ as Christians. Like in the case of Thomas, John says that we need to believe in Jesus Christ, not because we just want it to be true or because our parents tell us it's true. No, we, we need to believe that this is true based on the evidence that has been given to us in the gospel. God wants us to examine the evidence. This is something that Jesus talked about throughout his ministry. John chapter 5 and verse 36. And John chapter 5 and verse 36, Jesus said to some Jews in his day, he says, the very works I do. When he says works there, he's talking about his miracles. He says, the very works I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, the miracles I do, that's the evidence that I'm who I claim to be. Go now to John chapter 10. John 10. John 10 and verse 37. There Jesus says, he said to the Jews of his day, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. Translation, if I don't give you supernatural evidence to back up my supernatural claims, don't believe in me. You got no reason to believe in me. Verse 38, but if I do them, if I give you supernatural evidence to back up my supernatural claims, though you do not believe me, believe the works, believe the evidence so that you may know and understand the father is in me and I in the father. Brothers and sisters, when it came to trying to persuade these people to believe in him as the son of God, what did Jesus tell them to do? Did Jesus tell them to just blindly follow him? Did Jesus tell them to just take his word for it? Did Jesus tell them to just blindly believe in him? Or did he tell them to carefully evaluate the evidence? Well, according to the text, Jesus told them to carefully evaluate the evidence. That's what he wanted them to do. And that's what he wants us to do. Like in the case of Thomas, whenever we start having doubts, instead of just easily dismissing those thoughts, those doubts, and, and instead of just being determined to have blind faith, instead of being afraid to do something about what's going on in our hearts, what Jesus wants us to do is take the journey to find the truth. Take the journey to find out what is right. Open up and talk about your doubts to other people. Talk about your doubts with your brethren. Talk about your doubts with the elders. Young people, talk about your doubts with your parents. Have the courage and desire to know the truth. Have the courage and desire to do what is right. Ask the tough questions. Don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. If what you're following is true, it should be able to pass the test. Ask the tough questions. Honestly evaluate the answers to those questions and reasonably determine whether or not there is sufficient evidence to believe in Jesus based on what you find at the end of that journey. Like in the case of Thomas, whenever you start having doubts about God, and about Jesus and about the Bible, instead of allowing those doubts to cripple you and destroy your faith, consider the evidence. 
Go search for the evidence. Search for the evidence that the Bible is inspired. God wants you to do that. God wants you to consider things like the evidence that comes from fulfilled prophecy. Consider the power of prophecy in the Bible. Consider how in the Bible we have predictions made concerning world events and the life of Jesus. Predictions made hundreds of years in advance. And those things happen exactly the way God said they would. Consider the evidence of fulfilled prophecy. Consider how Jesus himself, over and over again in his ministry, he claimed that that the Bible is inspired. He claimed that the Bible is the word of God, and you can't reasonably believe in Jesus while at the same time rejecting the inspiration of the Bible. That's a package deal. You need to consider that. You need to also consider the harmony of the Bible. You need to consider how even though the Bible was written by 40 different people over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages and a host of different kinds of genres, there is not one alleged viable charge of contradiction that can be sustained. I'd also want you to consider what history tells us about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint. How both of those things prove that the prophecies concerning Jesus were made hundreds of years in advance. God also wants you to consider the evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. And how it has been properly translated and preserved throughout the course of history. That's what the facts, that's what the facts say. God especially wants you to examine the evidence for his son's resurrection. He especially wants you to examine the evidence for the key foundation stone for our faith. He wants you to consider how after being raised from the dead, Jesus then just appeared to the apostles here in John chapter 20, but he appeared to the apostles on numerous occasions. I mean, after being raised from the dead, Jesus was popping up all over the place. He, he appeared again to the apostles in John chapter 21. Acts chapter 1 says he appeared to the apostles for a period of 40 days after being raised. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says there was even a time when Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. If you have doubts, you need to consider the appearances of Jesus, the numerous appearances of Jesus. And you also need to consider how after Jesus died and was buried, the apostles, the eyewitnesses, they were not anticipating a resurrection. They were not anticipating Jesus to be raised from the dead. In fact, the Bible tells us on numerous occasions that after Jesus died, the apostles were running and hiding from the Jews. They thought the Christian movement was over. They thought the, the movement of Jesus was over, and when they finally were convinced that he was raised from the dead, they boldly preached it, not just to people, but the very people who hated Jesus. They preached it to the enemies of Jesus while receiving no riches, no power, no fame. Instead, history says they received beatings and mockings and imprisonment and even death. 
They died preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And before we're quick to try to compare them to what the Muslims do today, as a side note, let me just say that unlike the Muslim terrorist who straps a bomb to himself and blows up a building or flies a plane into a building, the apostles of our Lord did not die for something that they hoped to be true or that they just believed to be true. Instead, they died for something that they said knew was true. They died for something that they said they could testify to be true. Unlike the Muslim terrorists, they died for something that they said they saw to be true with their own eyes. Now, would you do that? Would you die for something that you knew was a lie? No person in their right mind would do that. But I just want you to see, my dear friends, is the, the evidence is on our side. Young people, the evidence is on our side. And in case you're wondering why I'm talking about the resurrection and trying to, to prove the, the, the inspiration of the Bible, let me just say that the reason why I talk about the resurrection so much is because, brothers and sisters, if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection really happened, then guess what? The rest of the stuff is true, too. Everything else is true if the resurrection really happened. The stories of the Old Testament are true if Jesus really came out that tomb. The creation account is true. The talking serpent, the talking donkey, Jonah in the belly of a fish, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, the worldwide flood. It's all true if Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Well, because Jesus preached about all that stuff in his earthly ministry. And I hope we can all agree that God wouldn't raise a liar from the dead. God wouldn't raise a false teacher from the dead. You see, if Jesus was really raised, then everything, everything pertained to our faith. It's all true. But I just want you to understand, when we, have, when we start having doubts, we need to be like Thomas. We need to carefully investigate the evidence. We need to carefully investigate the evidence for Jesus being everything that he claimed to be. I want to suggest that it is so important that we do that because, brothers and sisters, doubts that are investigated, they lead to somewhere. They lead to genuine and authentic discipleship. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want for our kids? Let me tell you something. When it comes to my own personal walk as a disciple, I don't want to have somebody else's faith. I'm not like that. I don't want to have my grandmother's faith. I don't want to have my wife's faith. I don't want to have my kids' faith. I don't want to have your faith. Instead, I want to have my own faith. I want to be someone who genuinely believes in the things of the gospel to be true because I myself, I myself have carefully evaluated the evidence. That's what I want for Sean Jeffries. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for my kids. In fact, when it comes to our kids, let me say something about that. Let me say that them developing genuine and authentic faith of their own that's the only way they're really going to stay faithful. 
We can bring them to all the services and take them to all the Bible classes and do all this different stuff with them, but if they don't have their own faith, they're not going to make it. Them de developing genuine and authentic faith, that's the only way they're going to stay faithful. That's the only way they're going to be able to go off to a state university and sit in on a biology class about evolution and come out with their faith still intact. That is the only way they're going to be able to avoid stagnant Christianity. That is the only way they're going to avoid going down the path of atheism and agnosticism that so many of our young people are going down today. You see, if we are really going to raise young people who are authentic disciples of Jesus, then whenever they come to us with doubts about God or Jesus or the Bible or why we don't have a band or gym attached to the church building, instead of blasting them, instead of getting angry with them and freaking out, we need to develop the non-freak-out face. <laughs> and we need to listen to them. And we need to let them know we appreciate their concerns, everything's okay, and then as their parents, we need to help them walk through that whole process. We need to do for them what Jesus did for Thomas. We need to help them carefully evaluate the evidence for whatever they're struggling with. We don't need to lightly brush their questions aside we don't need to say, well, I know that sounds ridiculous to you, but you need to believe it anyway. We don't need to encourage them to believe in something blindly. Instead, we need to help them carefully evaluate the evidence on a given issue and follow the truth wherever it goes. Let's help them, help re help them develop real and genuine faith. That's what God wants for them. And the fact of the matter is that's what God wants for us all. That's what God wants for, for me and for you. Remember what John said at the end of John 20, John 20, verse 30? Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe, so that you can have evidence to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Notice, my dear friends, how the ultimate outcome for genuine faith based on evidence is life. It is experiencing the best life now and, more importantly, it's experiencing eternal life in the one to come. That is the outcome for genuine, sincere faith based on the evidence given in the gospel. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you have that kind of faith. Maybe you believe in the evidence concerning Jesus but you've yet to act on it. You've yet to act on your faith. Well, if that describes you, then I want you to know you have an opportunity to do that this morning. This morning, if you believe in the evidence concerning Jesus Christ and you're not a, and you're not a Christian, if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith in him and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the Lord will forgive you. He will bless you. He will bring you into his everlasting kingdom and put you on the path to eternal life. That's the reward that, come, that comes to those who have the kind of faith that pleases God. And if we can help you with that in any way at all this morning, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing. Oh,